With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 18th, the Carpool Liability Waiver Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm the author of How to Be a Family, which is coming in September. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 11. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire. And I am mom to Henry, who is almost 18, Teddy, who is 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. So today on the show, we've got a mom who is freaking out about carpooling. And a woman who just wants her mom friend to relax about her rambunctious toddler. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. But first, before any of that, Rebecca, I want a driving report from Teddy. Where has he gone this week? (laughs) Good question. Uh, Well, we were away for part of the week, which I'm going to talk about in part of this podcast. But when we got back, um, the boys were supposed to go back to their dads. And he was taking them on a quick trip to visit his parents in Florida. So Kevin and I were, you know, we thought they they were gone. We were hanging out on the deck. uh, And I see Henry's car drive up or what I have here for to refer to as Henry's car (laughs) drive up to the house. And Teddy's in the front seat because he wanted to come by and get like some shorts or something to bring to Florida with him. So he's just like tootling around. I am somewhat like encouraging him to sort of stay in town, back and forth from his dad's, visiting friends in town uh, so far. We haven't done any like go to Target for me situations yet because you've got to get on a highway to get there. And uh, I'm sure he'll be fine and that will just happen. But I'm not putting him in that situation intentionally. But he's doing great. He seems to be very comfortable. He says he's happy to be driving. And that is all I can ask for at this point. Will you just promise me that he will not drive in Florida because those people are fucking crazy? (laughs) I don't think he's going to have the opportunity to drive in Florida. But um, I remember last time I was in Florida thinking the same thing. So I think we're in the same. I have never spent a minute on a road in Florida, not assuming I was just about to perish in a fiery (laughs) explosive accident. It is it is completely insane. Uh, all right, so let's start with triumphs and fails today. Rebecca, what do you have for us today? A triumph or a fail? I've got a good triumph. Um, I, yeah, I. Um, so we, Kevin and I, traveled this past weekend to Chicago. We had to go to a podcasting conference where we were doing a live show, and um, you know, it was like one of those one day things where like a bunch of podcasts come, and we decided to make like a weekend out of it. The thing was Saturday, but we both took the day off Friday, flew down Friday morning, and came back Sunday afternoon. And uh, the reason we decided to do that was because Teddy wanted to come to our like work thing, which was super cool. Um, I think on the show a couple years ago, I talked about how I was starting to bring Henry on a couple work trips and how it was a really fun way to travel with a teenager because there's like built in time that they have on their own away from you, which they love. Um, And this worked really, really well. We promised Teddy a full on tourism day on Friday because we flew in very early in the morning. So like Friday will be the day where we don't do anything uh, related to work. And it's just about like doing fun stuff. 
So we went on the boat uh, architecture tour in Chicago, which I highly, highly recommend if you're ever visiting the city. It's really, really cool and like exactly the right amount of corny and you learn a lot. It's like... Dan, have you ever been on the Circle Line in New York? I, not only have I been on the Circle Line, I've been on the architecture tour of Chicago on the boat. It's so yeah, good, right? So good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I, I I, will also recommend, I'll just say, like, if you're in New York and you haven't been on the Circle Line, like, just do it. It's the best. Um, but it was really cool. And we walked down Michigan Avenue when we went, you know, shopping at some stores that we don't have in New Hampshire that, you know, Teddy loves. And then uh, Saturday, we had to work all day at this conference. And Teddy, I just gave him like some money and he just like wandered the city himself. He went to a couple museums. He uh, went to some stores. He did some comic book shopping. He, you know, give a teenager an iPhone and some cash and they can have a blast. And I just think he felt really, really cool because it was, I think, the first time we've done a trip like this where he's just kind of been on his own in a city. And I think he just felt really self-possessed and cool. And he had a great time. And on the flight home, he was just like talking about how weird it was that people knew his parents through this other thing because, you know, people would run up to us and like want our autographs and stuff. And it was weird. And he's like, that's super weird. I'm like, it's weird for us, too. So he not only got an opportunity to, to see us like in our work environs, which was cool, but then we also were able to build in this day of tourism and some good meals. So it was all in all a huge success. And I really do recommend when your kids get older, if you can bring them on work trips, because it is cool, too, when they can see, you know, how you are in the world when it's not about them. That is such a great triumph. I'm glad that Teddy got a day in Chicago doing all those Chicago things, and I hope he ended it, as is traditional, by singing Dunk a Shane on a parade float in front of thousands of people on TV. <laughs> no. but <laughs> Next time, maybe. His feelings on that film have really evolved. <laughs> he, they really have. He used to love it. It's like they're one of their dad's favorite like nostalgia movies. But like Teddy just he just watches it. And he just thinks that Ferris is just like a dick, which he's not wrong about. No, no, Ferris not is a at dick. All. But it's, there's a real like litmus <laughs> test for kids, right? It's like, what do you think Ferris is awesome, or do you at some point realize, oh, oh, that kid seems like the worst. Yeah. You know, what's weird is that he's only awesome because people say he's awesome. Mm -hmm. He never actually does anything awesome. It's just like the fact that he's popular as the audience, you're just supposed to believe it. Like you're supposed to be brought along for the ride that like everybody loves this kid. And then he demonstrates absolutely nothing lovable at all <laughs> during the whole movie. He's like borderline but sociopathic. <laughs> pretty much. You know who is Cameron, fucking right? lovable is his sister. The yes. most underserved character in the history of American cinema. <laughs> Uh, Agreed. All right. I have uh, today, it's not exactly yet a triumph or a fail, but it will definitely eventually be one of them. Currently, it is TBD. It is a triumph in the making or a fail in the making. I'm going to track it for the rest of the summer, and I'm going to report back to this podcast. So uh, Lyra, our 14-year-old, uh, has forever, as long as as she has been able to read, she has been the reader in the family. She tore, tore through, you know, five books a day when she was a kid, when she was a little kid. She, you know, loves reading. She loves writing. That's always been, like, very wrapped up in her identity. She, like, she's the kind of kid who wears, like, books are my bag T-shirts and stuff. Um, but – in adolescence, as is true for many people, as was true for me when I was a teenager, um, reading has sometimes fallen by the wayside. She's distracted by screens. She's distracted by writing that she wants to do or drawing that she wants to do, you know, which is great. There are things that we love that she 
does, but we want her to read books too. Um, and particularly, we were struggling in the last year with getting her to pick up new books when she would read. I think maybe because the, you know, 14 is a pretty challenging time and she had a pretty challenging year. She would often go back to familiar books that she had read a million times and she wasn't really branching out that much to new stuff. So this summer I told Lyra, uh, look, I don't care if you lay around most of the day uh, when you're not doing a camp or something. Um, I don't care if you are lazy. I don't really want you to like do yard work or anything, but uh, here's a task I want you to do uh, this summer. Uh, I made her a list of 100 books. These were books that I thought she would really like uh, that were entertaining and fun, but that were also, as I explained to her, books that I think it is useful for you to know about if you want to be like a smart literary person in the world, a person who lives in like the world of books and letters. If you want to be, for example, as Lyra wants to be a professional writer, these are things that you ought to know about and that you'll be a better writer and a better reader for knowing about them. And some of them are like right on her maturity level. You know, some of them are totally appropriate books for her. Some of them are way too grown up for her, but I kind of want to see what happens if she tries reading them. Uh, and I told her, um, you just have to read 25 of these 100 books over the course of the summer. That was my only – 25? Yeah. <laughs> this is a kid who, if she actually sits down and reads, tears through a book in an hour and a half. So, like, this is not, like, a huge okay. ask. Um, uh, but so the so the list contains, you know, like, classics that she'll eventually read in school, right? And, you know, it's got, like, A Tale of Two Cities on it and Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, and then it's got some contemporary literary fiction um, like Kelly Link and Karen Joy Fowler and Americana. Um, it's got some really good genre books like The Fifth Season or the, and The Wizard of Earthsea. Uh, it's got some comics and some manga on it. I put um, like Fun Home and Ghost World. And then it's also got some trash, like trash that I think she still should – she may or may not love, but but she may find totally delectable and that it's still useful to know about like Death Note, the, the crazy manga from a couple decades ago and Twilight. Like she needs to read Twilight and know what the story is with Twilight. Oh, 100 percent she yeah. does. Um, and she's always like <laughs> scorned that. It's like, oh, who, why would anyone ever read Twilight? But I, I feel like she ought to read Twilight. Um, so I made this list. Um, I'll post it on uh, Slate.com when the show goes live uh, so people can see what's on this list if they're interested. Um, and I said, read 25 of them. That's my requirement for you. And so she said, well, what if I read 100? What if I read all 100 of them? And I said, if you read all 100, I'll take you to Disneyland. Mm. So she immediately was like, oh, well, I'll, do, I'll just do that. I'll just read all 100. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so she has, uh, embraced it somewhat. She is, she has been actively reading, not at the pace she could be reading, but I'd say she's probably read 15 to 20 of them already. Um, and I'm really curious how driven she will become on this task. You know, she clearly, she definitely hasn't given up screens and she hasn't stopped drawing or anything else, but she's definitely reading a lot more than she did before. So the question that I'm very curious about is, Will this be a triumph because she persists and she ends up reading a ton of books and she loves them? Um, will it be a fail because she eventually gets bored or frustrated or a couple of the books don't hit and she bombs out and then we get in a bunch of fights about it? Uh, or will it be the biggest fail of my life 
because she reads 100 and I have to go to Disneyland. Hmm. Time will tell. I, I will report back to this podcast. <laughs> I just want to know what she thinks about Twilight after she reads it. I am so interested. <laughs> It's one of the best worst books ever. Oh, yeah. It really is. Oh, yeah. And she, like, and she I, could I mean she could burn through that thing in 45 minutes all four and of have them. yeah and have a lot to say. Yeah, I read all four in a day. Mm-hmm. I read them like I guess when they were first kind of out and sort of hot and it was like my one of my friends uh just had them in her house and I don't know, I was just like, "Oh, I I picked it up." And she was like, "Go ahead and take it." I was like, "I don't want to read it." And then I took it. And then I like I literally read all four books like in a day. They're terrible. Yes. But like it's if it, like once you start, you can't stop. I the really potato wanted chips of shitty books. to know if she was going to fuck that vampire. <laughs> ah, you just had to know. <laughs> You know the answer to that question. Yeah, right but I'm not going to tell Lyra yet because <laughs> I want her to find out on her own. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. All right, before we move on, let's uh, do some business. I, Dan Coyce, would like you, mom and dad and our fighting listener, to sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter uh, because you can be notified about all of Slate.com's great parenting content like this very podcast or our advice column, Karen Feeding. Uh, But also – It's because it's like a little email that I write every week that includes stupid stories uh, about family life or what I'm feeling anxious about or um, what readers or listeners are feeling anxious about or what's going on in the world or sometimes just a poem. Anyways, sign up. It's fun. Uh, You can sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air on Mom and Dad are Fighting, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or Email us at momandad at slate.com. That's also the email address for fan mail, gift certificates, uh, what else? Um, hate. Hate. <laughs> hit, hate. Yeah, hate for Rebecca, love for me, whatever, whatever you got. Um, also, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. Uh, we have a whole community there. It just hit 10,000 members. Uh, it is a really nice. fun group. We moderate it, so it's relatively devoid of assholes, at least as compared to the rest of the internet. In Slate Plus today, we are answering an email from a freshly minted young adult who's just moved out of the house and who asks, how do you deal with parents when you are suddenly a grown-up? Here's a taste of what you'll hear if you're a Slate Plus member. Even if your parents expect that nothing will change, that's actually not their choice to make. It's yours. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. 
Slate Plus is Slate.com's membership program. It is a great way to support the work that we do. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing this very podcast and plenty of other of your favorite Slate shows. And of course, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate podcasts, plus a ton of other great benefits. So if you would like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Please be sure to use that URL because every time someone signs up through that URL, I get a one cent raise. <laughs> what do I get? <laughs> Jack shit. Okay, onward. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, let's do some listener questions today. This first question was emailed to us. If you would like to email us your question for us to answer on the air, send it to momanddad at slate.com. Hi, mom and dad. I'm a non-parent listener with a pretty low stakes question for you. One of my good friends is the mother of a super cute and sweet three-year-old. I spend time with the both of them on a regular basis. Of course, any toddler can be a little overwhelming at times, but I overall love spending time with him. I think my friend can be a little self-conscious about having a misbehaving kid around because she's a young mother and most of our friends are non-parents. I'm wondering, what is the best way to communicate to her that certain rambunctious toddler behaviors aren't bothering me or are not an issue? I know she's just trying to teach him manners and consideration, but other times she's just trying to be polite to me. How can I communicate to her when it's fine for him to play with something or if I don't mind leaving the group for a minute without undermining her parenting? When he was younger, I could just tell her directly, but now, if I said I don't mind if he plays with that, he would probably hear and respond with something like, see, mom, she says it's okay. I don't want to overrule her. Okay. Well, I don't think this is a super low, as low stakes a question as this writer here Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, because what she's talking about is like the dynamic between uh, parents and non-parents, which can be really tricky to navigate at this point, like when there's just like one or two people in a friend group that has kids and like nobody else does. Um, And it's actually, I think, lovely that you're thinking about this because... Uh, If your friend truly is the only parent in your kind of social circle, that can be a super lonely feeling. It can feel very much like nobody kind of gets it or nobody nobody sees that I'm like working really hard here just to like even be here is like more challenging for me than other people. So it sounds like as a friend, you're doing your part even just by like thinking about those things. And it sounds like you've had this conversation before. But what get, where it gets more complicated is exactly what you're talking about, is that, you know, it's gone from being like this baby to this more sentient person and you don't want to interfere. And you also at the same time want your friend to feel less self-conscious. I guess the, the question is, like, how much time do you guys have where the kid isn't around? Because that, to me, would be the time to have this exact conversation. And I'm not 
100% sure why it would be different than the conversation you had in this letter that you wrote to us. I mean, everything you said is reasonable. Um, you know, it, it. I'm not, I, you can say, for instance, I'm wondering if when you tell your kid to not pick up the thing off the coffee table, if that's something that like, how would you like me to signal to you that it's okay? Or uh, I'm wondering if maybe you're self-conscious and you think your kid is too rambunctious. I just want to let you know, I don't think he is. And so never worry about what I'm thinking about him running around my living room or whatever. And, you know, just feel free to ask me in front of him, you know, is it okay if he plays with this or not? And the answer will obviously usually be yes. And I'd rather not sort of undermine you and interrupt and say something is okay when it isn't. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of where I'm starting with this, but it definitely doesn't feel as low stakes as this writer inner thinks. What do you think, Dan? You're absolutely right because this friend is absolutely freaking out right now about her friendships, her pre-kid friendships and how those are going to persist and whether that kid is like a stumbling block or is going to be the thing that causes these friendships to fall apart. And so the consideration that this letter writer is showing by asking these questions is really great and is going to help carry this friendship a long way. I I think you're right that a one-on-one conversation that just sort of sets this stuff out can be really helpful. And the message, as you say, is I will never be upset or offended about him just doing normal toddler stuff in my house. Like that will always be fine. And if I have a problem with something, I'll just tell you it. And it also won't be like a big deal. It's that's totally normal. Um, But there are definitely um, parents for whom that message won't change the way that they feel in the moment, won't change the anxiety mm. um, or the or the concern they feel about the way their kids are behaving, or it won't change a very specific philosophy they might have about how they want to raise their kids. And this is something that I've struggled with uh, quite a bit with in, in relation to one very particular friend of our families, um, one of my wife's oldest friends, a wonderful woman um, who who we see usually a couple times a year and, off, and we saw uh, quite a bit e- more when the kids were younger when we would often go to the beach together. And she has two boys, basically exactly the same age as my two girls. And she is a extremely great, uh, extremely on-the-ball mom who I think has who found a way to deal with the chaos of two rambunctious boys by being very, very firm and strict with them. And, you know, in some parents, I would find that I'm sure like overbearing and difficult. For those boys, it was exactly right. And she has raised them over, you know, 14 years now into unbelievably polite, well-mannered, great kids who are amazing in any social situation. But it also meant that for like the first seven or eight years of their lives in particular, every time we were together with them, she would spend a huge amount of time just being like, oh, I'm so sorry. My kids are so awful. Or, oh, Jesus, they're such monsters. I can't believe they did that when they like threw a ball in the house. And we every time we'd be like – it's fine. It's fine. These kids are great. We don't care. But it didn't matter that much that we kept saying that. It didn't really change her behavior. And so, A, we tried to just like come to terms with it and we understood that it was a philosophy of hers. But here are a couple of other pieces of advice I might give this letter writer for this early stage in this relationship because it's still early. This kid is you know only three. You've got a long time to go with this kid. I might – suggest that one thing that will really help a lot is fostering as much as you can a direct relationship between you and this kid. 
Mm. Um, you know, it's one thing to tell her, you know, I love little McMahon and I love spending time with him. Uh, and I totally understand his behavior, but it's another thing <laughs> for when you're in your house with a bunch of people and McMahon's a little, being a little crazy three-year-old for you, if you're game to just sit down with him and talk directly to him and play with him, right? Find a thing that you two can do together for just a moment that takes him out of his rambunctiousness and redirects his energy and attention. And, and that makes it not his mom's immediate responsibility. And I often think in this case, she might find it she might not immediately freak out if instead of her seeing her kid being wild, she sees you, her friend, having a one-on-one -on -one moment with her kid and finding mm. a thing to do that's like fun. Um, you know, you never know. She might be like, oh, don't put yourself out. It's too much. But if you are legitimately sitting down and doing something nice and fun with her kid, I, it's very likely that she will respond to that in a different way. And the other thing I would also, I would add to that is um, – you know, big groups are one thing, getting together a, with a big friend group that includes, you know, whatever, six non-parents and one parent, that's really stressful and probably adds to her stress. Um, as much as you can find ways to do three-person activities with you and her and McMahon, I think that would be great. <laughs> like doing a thing that is maybe even pretty kid-focused um, where you're sort of like the third wheel a little bit, but you can get engaged with both of them and see what their dynamic is like. And, uh, and, and he's engaged in, and having fun and what, you know, going to the playground or whatever the thing is that you do, but you also have the chance to, to see that and participate in it and sort of find your way inside that relationship that will help too, because then when you're in the big group, you've got, you've developed that relationship with the three of them and you are sort of becoming a little bit a part of that inner circle. I think it'll also help her feel more secure about your friendship. I think that's all really good. And I just want to add that there are um, some things that might be important to your friend that, you know, you might help her reinforce a little bit with her kids. So for me, for instance, when my kids were little, um, you know, two boys, 18 months apart, they like to run around, like to do all of those things. But I drew like very hard and fast lines around just basic politeness, please and thank you was like necessary. It was not optional. And sometimes you'd be hanging out with friends or whatever, and you'd say, say, thank you to Mrs. So-and-so. And they'd be like, no, 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 don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, actually, this is really like they have to. Yeah. It's not, you know. So when you have this conversation with your friend, just ask her where those red rules are. And then when maybe if <laughs> I'm calling him McMahon, I guess now, is at your house and he asks you for something, you can reinforce it. You can say, I you know, what do you say when you ask for something? Like, you can be helpful in that regard, and your friend will know that you're not interfering, that, like, you're listening to what her hard and fast, you know, red lines are around how her kid behaves in front of other adults. So, yeah, just keep in mind that as 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 you are assuaging her self-consciousness, she might actually have some real red lines. And I think, as Dan suggests, it's important to find out what those are and you know, help her instead of just like letting her do it all. Maybe you can help, you know, lift some of the weight when it's just a casual social situation. And that will also, I think, help her feel less self-conscious. Yeah. She right now is worried that she, that like no one is on her team. Uh, and so the more you can be on her team, the more that helps ease everything about that friendship and that relationship. Right. Uh, all right. We've solved the problem with Little McMahon. That's great. Let's move on <laughs> to our second question. Uh, once again, emailed to us at slate.com. Hi, mom and dad. I am a mother of a three-year-old boy with a question about ride sharing. My son goes to a preschool that is a 30-minute drive away from our home. In every respect, we love the school, but the commute eats significantly into my and my husband's days, two hours round trip a day. 
We both work for ourselves, so are making it work, but the idea of reducing weekly hours behind the wheel is really appealing. Recently, the possibility of carpooling with another family that lives on our side of town has arisen, and I'm very interested in working on an arrangement where they drive the boys some days and we drive the boys the others. Environmentally and economically, sharing a ride seems like a win-win situation. But my concern is fear-based. I do not know what I would do if I got in an accident with another family's child in my car, nor if they got in an accident with my son in the car. I have never been in a serious car accident before, thank goodness, but I have a healthy fear of distracted drivers. Most of my concerns are about the emotional consequences of a worst-case scenario, but I suppose I also wonder what the legal implications of bad accident might be as well. These concerns fill me with enough dread that I'm not sure what to do about them. Logically, I see so many benefits to sharing the ride. Several hours more time to work on a weekly basis, save money on gas, etc. But my fears are basically untouched by these logical advantages and I am having trouble talking myself out of them. Do you have any advice about how I might manage these fears or thoughts about the validity? Are there any legal arrangements that you think families in our situation would be well advised to consider when making plans for regularly driving someone else's children to and fro? <sighs> oh my God, lady. <laughs> I'm, Go. I'm so sorry that you are feeling this dread and this nervousness. You are, we will try and address the sort of big issues at hand here, but let me first start out by saying it will be okay. Carpooling will be okay, and you should absolutely do it. <laughs> okay, so let's start with a basic thing. There are no legal arrangements that you have to make if you are going to mm -hmm. carry someone else's kid in your car or they're going to carry your kid in theirs. Your car insurance should include personal liability insurance. You're covered on that front. You are good. Um, like, you will be fine. You've got to take this rideshare opportunity. You can save Five hours a week, five hours, mm. five. That's like almost a full day. You say you're going to use it on working. I think that you should also get drunk for at least some of those five <laughs> hours. And look, like I'm joking around and being a dick. And I know that a lot of parenting is coming to grips with these kinds of fears, right? Fears that from the outside, from our lofty perspective as people, as parents who gleefully put our children in any car that shows up, we don't even care, uh, that we dismiss. You know, I have very vivid memories of the first year of Lyra's life when I had this like petrifying fear of her sleeping for too long, which was in retrospect, of course, completely useless. But every single time she slept more than like three hours at a stretch, I would like stand outside her bedroom door and I would steal my courage before I opened the door to her room because I would be like, well, okay, this is it. She's dead. <laughs> and it turns out this was the last happy day of my life. I should remember oh, what it was God. like. Uh, <sighs> but parenting is about learning to let your kid out into the world more and more and not only allowing it to happen, but embracing the opportunities that it gives that kid and you, uh, that each gradual, the opportunities that each gradual move represent and rejoicing in those opportunities, not fearing it. Now, there can be a lot of things standing in the way of that, and we should talk about those things. But Rebecca, what do you think? No, everything you said is bang on. I mean, the uh, carpooling is is a risk that we take on 
I mean, I took it on without thought. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm just I'm not going to pussyfoot around. Like, this wasn't an anxiety of mine at all. But I, I do understand kind of what she's saying when she sort of has this background dread. And what's interesting is what she says she's most anxious about is the emotional fallout from something bad happening. So she's sort of piling onto herself. Not only is she living with this anxiety about this, you know, very transactional thing, which is, um, a very acceptable risk to most to most of us because I mean I I sort of think about you know having other people's kids in my car it's it's no riskier to drive at that point than it is if they're not in my car and vice versa when my kids are in the other car and you kind of think about all of the fluke weird things that can happen in the world and does carpooling increase the risk of one of those weird fluky things. I think there's a decent argument you made that it doesn't, unless, of course, you have concerns about the safety of the driving of the other people at hand. But I'm guessing you probably don't. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be considering this arrangement. Right. Or you Um, don't even know yet. Or you have no idea. Exactly. Exactly. But like what I hear here is just like layers of anxiety. It's not just anxiety about this one thing. She's she's not anxious about like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be taking on some risk. She's anxious about I'm going to be doing it. I'm taking on some risk. And if a bad thing happens, there's going to be this whole other layer of emotional fallout. Um, And that's really key to me because, you know, one of the things you might want to do with some of this extra time, if you do take on this arrangement, is start dealing with some of this anxiety because um, I'm I really I think it's a, a safe bet that if the carpooling is instilling these feelings of real dread in you, which is what it sounds like, it sounds like real dread, there are probably other um relatively common aspects of parenting and kind of letting your kid out of your sight that are also going to inspire similar dread and the opportunity loss here is high i mean there's an opportunity here for you to lose time for you to lose a quality of life to be able to spend more sort of quality time with yourself with your loved ones with your kids i mean because the bottom line is like when you pull out some of the transactional stuff around parenting or share it like really the quality of your parenting life does improve but you're also sort of risking without dealing with this passing along some of this kind of inherent dread and anxiety to your kid or kids around things that are just happening around them, around things they see their friends doing. I mean, this carpooling is not a particularly uncommon thing. If we were talking about a different kind of thing, my answer might be different, but this is the first carpooling opportunity you're going to have out of hundreds that you will have over the next few years. So I think it's a really good time to to seriously consider addressing some of this anxiety, uh, perhaps with a mental health professional. I think that's really good advice. And look, it's not like – it's not insane or wild or crazy to to think that driving, you know, in and of itself is a kind of risk, right? It's actually – it can be a risky thing. Could something happen to your child in the other car? Yes, but but the thing to remind yourself about is that it is no more likely that something happens to your child in the other car than it is that something happens to your kid in your car. Right. You've made peace with the idea that you guys can drive your child, you know, two hours every day or your, I guess your child one hour every day and yourselves one hour every day. Um, and And there's no greater likelihood of something happening to your kid uh, in someone else's car. And another way to think about it is, and maybe you you said that you've sort of thought about it logically and that logic is having a hard time breaking through. But there's one other point I would like to make on the logic front, which is right now you have these two kids, your child and this other child. And those two kids are spending 20 hours a week on the roads, in cars mm-hmm. on the roads. You have the opportunity to cut that number down 
to 10, to cut that number in half, to make these two kids spend half as much time in cars, these sometimes dangerous things, you know, and so you're cutting in half the likelihood that either of them is going to be, that one of them is going to be involved in an accident. Hmm. Now, I'm no mathematician, so it's possible I totally got that wrong. Please feel free to let me know if you are a mathematician and that's correct. But it is clearly, obviously better for everyone in the world, which includes you and these other parents and your two children, if these cars are driving less every week. And so take that and run with it and take this opportunity if you can find a way to do it. Because I really think that the ways it will make your life better can really help be a thing that starts to help you overcome this dread. In addition, I think to Rebecca's very good advice to consider talking to a mental health professional about your overwhelming dread. But just the way your life can improve by getting these five hours back can also really brighten things up quite a bit. I think that what's interesting was she added that kicker about, like, should there be a legal arrangement? Yeah. I mean, the answer is no. Yeah. I mean, if you want to just ask to make sure the other parents have insurance, that's fine. I mean, that would be you know, probably an uncommon question, but not a totally unreasonable one. Um, but it actually kind of speaks to me about where you're coming from on this, because what I'm wondering is I would ask yourself the question, if there were a legal arrangement in place, would you feel less anxious? The answer is probably not. Right. It would just it would be assuaging something that hasn't happened and is unlikely to happen. And it's not necessarily assuaging anything because what are the legal uh, you know, remedies here. Like, there's no legal points. remedy for the emotional thing that you're worried about, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. and that's and that's really where the angst is coming from. Is this sense of dread about a way you will feel in the event that an unlikely event happens, yeah. and that to me is the hallmark of like a a real issue with anxiety and just my own experience. You know, talking about anxiety, dealing with anxiety, like the the hallmark is how will I feel if. Not, you know, and, and that's sort of how it plays out for me anyway. Like when I think about, you know, I sort of dread one outcome or the other. If what you're really dreading is a feeling that you have not yet experienced rather than an actual thing that could go wrong, that's like, to me, a real hallmark of of real anxiety. And there is no legal remedy for that. Nothing you can put in place. Uh, will help that. It's not like getting a will where at least you know uh, you've at least said what you want to say and, you know, you'll be dead. So who knows if they'll do it or not. But at least you got to say your piece. It's not like that. It's not going to, you know, assuage any of those feelings of dread that you have. Right. Spinning out scenarios just like I did when I was standing outside Lyra's door, trying <laughs> to imagine what it will, what I'll feel like when she drops dead. Like that, that is a real textbook example of anxiety getting the best of you and finding yep. ways to talk about that and think about that I think would be very useful to you. All right, let's move on to the part of the show where we suggest to our listeners things that we might recommend they would enjoy. I call it recommendations. I will start today. Um, I'm going to recommend a novel for adults, not for kids. I'm not putting this on Lyra's reading list. Um, it is called The Gifted School, and it is by a writer named Bruce Holzinger. Uh, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it is uh, set in a uh, very recognizable exurb. Uh, in this case, it's a Denver exurb, but it you know it resembles many uh, many communities full of extremely high functioning, 
high pressure, high intensity parents and their kids who are in their own ways uh, pursuing the things that they love while also being affected by the parents who are who are pushing on them a little bit too hard. This excerpt uh, is about the school district here is about to open a gifted and talented magnet school, uh, which throws the community into a tizzy. The novel follows four families closely. Uh, the moms of the four families are all very close Eh, frenemies, I'd say. They're very close frenemies. Uh, I'm about a third of the way through the book right now. Um, and already I can I can see like the fault lines and cracks that are going <laughs> to rip open in the earthquake that is about to hit this novel. Uh, it's an extremely mean book. It is a very accurate portrait of striving best of everything parents. I've already like 20 times nervously laughed because I recognize something horrible that I have done. Uh, it's going to be just a gruesome reading experience. I'm really excited. I can't recommend it enough. Bruce Holzinger, The Gifted School. Check it out. Rebecca, what do you have to recommend? For, first of all, that sounds like a great uh, plot starting off point for Big Little Lies season three. I know. It would be just awesome. going to throw it out there yeah. as an idea. This guy better get hired for that season or else he, his agent <laughs> is not doing her job. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend an app, one of those like utility apps that was recommended to me by my fellow podcaster and friend, Aaron Mankey, uh, who saw me at a conference and saw me struggling with my like many pieces of paper. I like to, you know, when I go check in for a flight and so forth, um, even though you can get all the stuff on your phone and show them a little QR code, I always have like printouts of all my travel stuff. And uh, I keep it in a folder whenever I go on a trip. It has all my like, you know, flight, hotel, you know, dinner reservations, whatever, just in case. I don't know. It's sure. like the one thing that I'm neurotic about in my life. Your traveler's checks, travel stuff. your immunization <laughs> records, <laughs> just the normal stuff. Anyway, uh, he recommended an app to me called TripIt, which... I loved so much that I immediately got the expensive paid version because I realized like this is actually what I need to do um, to actually feel like I don't have to last minute, like print out all this stuff and take it with me. So TripIt, even the um, free version, it allows you to forward any travel plans, confirmations, hotel confirmations, airline stuff to the app. You just forward it to the app, like plans at tripit.com or whatever. And it sets up an agenda for you for all of your travel stuff. So you click on a trip. And even if you've booked one flight through like American Airlines website and then booked your hotel through Expedia and then, you know, booked like the uh, boat tour reservation through some other website, you can just forward that confirmation email to TripIt and it aggregates, it scrapes and aggregates all the stuff. And it includes everything. It includes like your confirmation number. It includes like everything that you need. And then it sends, if you set it up this way, sends you alerts like it's time for you to check into your flight Like, because it actually has scraped that data. And it, you know, it, it's a travel app. So it sort of is connected to all these other things. I really, really love it. And the thing that I like about it most that I just started using it for is for other people's shit. So uh, for instance, we bought my stepdaughter concert tickets for her birthday. The concert isn't until like November, but I forwarded that confirmation to TripIt. And so I can see that in there. I can see my kids right now are on a trip with their dad. He forwarded me their travel itinerary. I forwarded it to TripIt. So I can now see when my kids' flights are. So I'm not doing the thing where I'm like, when are you guys supposed to get back? Whatever. I can just see it all. And it like it works for restaurant reservations. It works for everything. And it's, I have to say, the handiest thing for me, though, is just to sort of see kind of like the big picture of everybody's travel stuff at all times like we're going on vacation next week so like our vrbo reservation is in there and then i made like one 
dinner reservation and I forwarded that. So that's in there. So I like can just look and trip it instead of having to look on some calendar and some combination of papers and see like, all right, we're booked Thursday night next week, but we're free every other night if someone wants to get together for dinner. So I really love it. It's TripIt, T-R-I-P-I-T. And there is a free version and like a $50 version for like real travel pros, which I did splurge for because I just wanted to see what it could do. And it is kind of awesome. That's my recommendation this week. That sounds pretty cool. That definitely seems like an I should maybe think about getting it for my mom uh, as an alternative to our current arrangement, which is that whenever she wants to take a trip somewhere, I make her airline reservations online, then print them out and mail them to her in an envelope. (laughs) Yes. And you can set the app up so it can receive emails from lots of email addresses. You can set it up so you can get emails from your own, but also so that if someone else forwards you a travel thing, it will automatically go there mm-hmm. like it's 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 set up exactly for that for like if you know kevin and i are both going to the same conference but we had to make our reservations separately because we're being reimbursed or whatever like it's set up exactly for that kind of thing but literally you can send it anything with a confirmation number and the date and time will go on there and you can also sync it to your calendar so all that stuff like the flight time and all that stuff will just feed right to your phone calendar like right from the app if you set it up that way it's pretty awesome it seems like a challenge kind of to like Arrange the most convoluted trip possible that could stump TripIt. <laughs> what trip can you take that would break TripIt? <laughs> Ask them. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had one yet, yeah. but that's that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. All right, that's our show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, remember, you can just email us at slate.com or leave us a message at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Also, join us on Facebook. You can just search for Slate Parenting. We'll be there responding to your love notes and hate letters about this episode. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Dan Coyce. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.